All right, please uh, open up your Bibles if you have them in front of you. Uh, page 844, you can read along in the bulletin. We are looking at Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, and then we're going to chapter 9, verse 1. And we are currently in a sermon series titled, Questions Jesus Asks. And um, like so many of Jesus' questions that he asks, we, we kind of get it at some level. But then when we let Jesus fully describe things, um, we can find ourselves becoming undone. Thankfully, though, Jesus doesn't just present us with questions. He presents us with himself the one who's able to settle our hearts and our minds. Today we need that. We're addressing kind of a challenging question. The question Jesus asks is, what does it profit to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse excuse me, 27. That's where we need to be. I'm sorry. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words given to us. Jesus, we thank you that your life was glorious and is glorious and that your, your words challenge us. Uh, we pray that as we ponder your words that your spirit would fill us to give us insight, not just so we can understand them, but rather even more so that we could press them deep into our lives and into our souls, that we may follow after you as you call us to. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a website that is devoted to displaying selfies, and unfortunately, not your average selfies. The picture, uh, the site shows pictures that people have taken immediately before they died. Pictures of uh, a girl um, high up on a bridge, 
right before she perishes. Picture of a, of a young husband and wife standing on a cliffside with their children watching. Uh, people in an airplane, right, as it's about to go down. There's this one girl who's listening to a Pharrell song. You know the song, Happy? She's listening to that song, and it just made her happy that day, so much so that she decided that now was the time to share her happiness with her friends, and she took a picture of herself and uploaded it to, to a website. It was a pretty picture. It was the last one she took. None of those taken uh, those pictures would have ever thought that they would just die in a few seconds. They, they must have thought that there would be great gain for taking this photo. Look at the gain in my life. Look what I'm accomplished. If only you could be up here with me. Look how courageous I am up here on this bridge. If only you could be with me here in my car, then you would be happy along with me. They must have thought that this photo would have made their life better, not worse. But what I would like to think is that if you were to warn them just before that, if you were to warn them what was going to happen, I would like to think that they would see that this gain was not worth losing their lives. This passage functions in a similar manner as this selfie's webpage. Here, Jesus challenges his disciples and us to see that our lives are precious and valuable, to see that we need to make every moment count. But more than that, Jesus wants his followers to understand that life is more valuable than just living. That is, there's more to life than just gaining happiness or or contentment. There's more to life than just saving one's life from, from mediocrity. That's why Jesus asks this very probing question of his disciples and those who are listening in. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Jesus is asking a question that the world really doesn't like to consider very much. Billions of people live on this planet, and every day they're seeking gain in this world. They're seeking all kinds of activities and possessions and things to make their lives valuable to themselves. People think, if only I could be part of the popular crowd, then my life would be great gain. If only I could get into the Ivy League school, if only I could find that man or that woman to spend my life with, well, then my life would be saved. If only I could have these really cool life experiences, if only I could go on these wonderful vacations, if only I could keep my face and my body looking young. Jesus, Jesus calls this saving one's life. And he says chilling words to them and to us. He says whoever would, like, whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, he's saying that all of our human efforts to save our own lives, to make something good for ourselves, in the end will fail. It will fall short. What does it profit to, to gain all this and at the end of your life lose your soul? Our bodies will one day go into the ground, but our souls will live forever. And so the important question that's being implied here is, will you experience eternal life or eternal death? Now, if Jesus is, uh, if there is no life after death, well, Jesus' words are just irrelevant, right? <laughs> but we know from this side of the cross that his words are true and that they are trustworthy for us this morning. May we hear his words. To those who hear, Jesus says, follow me. Let me save you. Let me take care of your soul. Uh, let me redefine what a good life looks like for you and then lose your life in me that it may be saved. In our passage, Jesus offers, it's a, it's a perplexing and difficult challenge. He says, come and follow me. It will feel like you are losing a lot. In fact, it may even feel like death. But 
open your eyes and see that there is no greater life and that there is no greater gain than being with me and going where I am going. My point this morning is that to truly gain life, we must follow Jesus. We will see in our time this morning that to follow Jesus means that we must go with him, die with him, and live with him. First, go with him. To truly gain life, we must go with Christ. We see that in verses 27 through 33. We see that it's, it's not just enough to get Jesus' identity right. We must go with him where he is going. Now, the disciples, they do a good thing. They get his identity right. Do you see that in verses like 27 through, <clears throat> through uh, 30? Jesus asks them, who do the people say I am? And there's a lot. Everybody has an opinion of who Jesus is. The, the religious people had their idea. The people who, who really like to get free bread on the hillside, they had their idea. Uh, and, and he asked them, and, and some good answer, a good answer was, well, you're one of the prophets. You're, you're like Elijah. You're, you're like John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. Um, but Peter, speaking for the 12, says, no, you're actually, you are the Christ. You, you are the Son of God, the Messiah. And that's the correct identity for Jesus. The word Christ is based on a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah uh, in, the, in the Old Testament was, was a word that simply meant anointed one, someone who's been anointed for a particular service. And by the time the Old Testament unfolded until the days of Christ, uh, that anointed one had much richer and richer meaning. It became a, a Messiah with a capital M and an anointed one with a capital A and a capital O. And it was uh, the son of, uh, there was to be this great deliverer that God. God sends that will bring about restoration of the nation of Israel and, and peace within the land. And so the disciples looked at Jesus with confidence and, and, and they said, you are that man. But Jesus, though, teaches his disciples. It's not enough to know and get his identity right. You must get his mission right. Because as soon as Jesus tells the disciples his vision and his mission, they say, no, we're not going to go. What do I mean by vision and mission? Well, a lot of organizations have visions and, and missions. Um, a vision, a vision statement, is a, it's, it's that flag in the foreign territory. This is where we're going to go, right? Here at Grace Presbyterian Church, we have a vision. Our vision statement is to see Long Island awaken to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's our flag in the soil. That's where we are going to. We're not there yet. But how do we get there? Well, that's where a mission statement comes in place. Our mission statement at Grace Presbyterian Church is to reach the lost, build community, grow disciples, serve our neighbors, and in all things, worship Christ. And so what we believe is that we, by, by focusing on our mission, we will achieve this flag in the foreign soil of, of seeing Long Island awaken to the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus shares his vision and his mission with his disciples. Uh, we see Jesus' vision statement, and it goes in one ear and out the other because his mission is before. But we're going to look at the vision first. His vision comes at the end of, of verse 31, and he says, And after three days, rise again. Jesus has his eyes, his mind set on the empty tomb. He has his whole life's purpose. His flag in the foreign territory is, is uh, that very first Easter day when he rises in victory over sin and death. That's Jesus' vision. That's, that's where he is going. 
Now, we might not think much of these six words, uh, and after three days rise again, but we should. These six words tell us that if Jesus' vision really comes true, then the world as we know it will be once and for all forever changed. Can you imagine a world without hospitals and jails and military? Can you, can you imagine a world in which every thought and action and deed is fulfilling and rewarding? A world where there's no need to hide or lie or cover up. In fact, such things will be impossible because the people dwelling there will be recreated and renewed in the spirit of Christ. A world with no divorce or, or bankruptcy or overdrafts or a world without murder and manslaughter and war. A world without missing children or childhood leukemia. Jesus knew that his resurrection meant that the world would one day too be resurrected and that along with him every, uh, everything would be restored to perfection and all who followed after him would rise to new life too. These six words say a lot. They tell us Jesus' vision. But that wasn't the vision for Jesus' disciples at the time, right? We see that, don't we? Their vision for Jesus was that since he was the Messiah, he was going to fix all of the nation's problems. They had big problems, for sure, but they just saw Jesus as someone who's coming uh, just for them, just to fix their, their little region of this world, one particular people at one particular time and place. That, that Jesus the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman rulers and, and bring about a time of, of, uh, of peace in the, in, in the region. And what they thought is that they were going to ride on the coattails of Jesus' success. And then their lives would be great gain. We long for you to be that Messiah. We can't wait until you do what you, we know you need to do, and we will be with you. We will follow you there. We like that idea. We will go with that Messiah. Jesus' purpose, though, wasn't to make his disciples' short lives gain after all, what does, it, what does it profit you even to be a disciple of Jesus and to forfeit your soul? What does it mean to be even a disciple of Jesus but yet not follow him all the way to where he is going? We know that one disciple fell short on that regard. That's Jesus' vision. They reject his vision. They most certainly would reject his mission too, right? See, you can't have a resurrection on the third day without a death three days prior. That's what Jesus says, my mission is. His mission really truly defines success in this world. Jesus' mission, uh, success equals death. That's Jesus' mission. He's going to go and he's going to die. Right after the disciples get his identity right, he, he goes to teach them. Verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. Jesus' mission, that is the means by which he gets to that flag in the foreign soil, is that he's going to go to a cross. He is going to die. He's going to suffer. Verse 32 begins by saying that Jesus said all of this plainly which means he didn't speak in parables or hyperbole. He made it clear so that they could understand. He told them straight up. And he said, you must know this, the Messiah is actually going to die and suffer and die. They, the disciples hear this clearly, and then they reject Jesus' mission. 
You're wrong, says Peter. Mark says that, that Peter took Jesus. Oh, he was so helpful. Peter took Jesus aside. Come here, Jesus. Let's get away from these disciples. Let me tell you how it's really going to be. You're wrong, Jesus. The, the Messiah isn't someone who suffers. The, the Messiah is, is to be received, not rejected. The Messiah is not going to die. He won't be killed. He came to live and to bring about God's restored nation of Israel. But Jesus doesn't stand for it. In verse 33, we read that he, uh, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Jesus looked at all of his disciples, which means that this, this rebuke wasn't just for Peter. It was for all of them there. And he had harsh words for Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter wasn't literally Satan, but what Jesus saw in Peter and was experienced in Peter was something that he had experienced before when he began his earthly mission. Jesus was brought out uh, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and he, uh, and he fasted for 40 days and he was tempted by the devil. And, and, and Satan was offering him all kinds of earthly gain if he would just take a shortcut around the cross. And those words sound similar in Jesus' ear. He's like, Peter, I've heard those words before. I said no to Satan then, and I'm going to say no to you now. Peter wanted Jesus not to go to the cross, but to settle for something better. But to be a true follower of Jesus Christ means we must, means we must go with him to the cross. See, in doing so, we acknowledge that our greatest hope is to see the things of God unfolded through his anointed one. When we go with Christ to the cross, we are acknowledging that we share God's vision for this world and for what he's doing. It shows, uh, it shows that our greatest longing in life is not for a cozy life here on this world as it is today, but that our minds are rather captivated by God's vision and his mission here on earth, uh, a vision in which there will be no more death, no more crying, uh, a place where the children of God are forever freed to dwell in the kingdom. A day that Jesus speaks of in verse 38, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. How do you see Jesus? Do you know his identity? Do you share his vision? Do you agree with his mission? Followers of Christ not only know who he is, um, but where he has taken them and what it means to follow them. Have you gone with Jesus? After rebuking the disciples for getting his vision and his mission wrong, in verse 34 then, he calls the whole crowd together to gather in with his disciples. And then he says something astounding. He says, come and die with me. Did you hear that in there? It's an offer to truly gain, to truly gain life, we must die with Christ. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus gives his listeners a conditional clause that begins with if. If any of you would come after me, that is, if any of you wants to follow me, then three things. Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and follow me. Now, it sounds a little silly that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to follow me. But I think we get it, right? I think we get his point. If anyone wants to be considered a follower of Christ, if anyone wants to say that I'm a Christian and a disciple, then action must be taken. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and go after him. Let me ask you this. When did Jesus pick up his cross? 
When did his cross first land upon his shoulders? Was it on that first Good Friday? No. Jesus, from the first day of his earthly mission, bore a cross. When he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, did Christ bear a cross then? Yeah, he did. Thankfully, he he bore that cross well. See, here's the deal. Jesus saw himself as already dead. In his mind, he knew where he was going. It it wasn't a... Jesus didn't walk on this earth thinking that, well, it's just a possibility that, that his life could end poorly if things just don't go right. No, Jesus knew where he was going. That was his vision. That was his mission. The reason why Jesus could say no to all the temptations that he was being offered in this life was that he was already dead to it. Does that make sense? And guess what? So to us. In a similar manner, Jesus is saying to you and to me, saying, die. See yourself as dead to the seducing gains of this world. Die to trying to save your own life. See, so long as you hold out hope that this world is going to deliver uh, its promise to ultimately satisfy you, then you're going to continue to place your ultimate hope in things of this world. Now, Jesus isn't saying we can't find joy in this world. Some people think that Christians are pessimistic and, and uh, depressing. <laughs> Some can be, but we're not supposed to be, right? I like to think we're realistic, right? Like God, we love this world. Like God, we, we seek to bring healing and hope. And like our Heavenly Father, um, we, we long for this world to be transformed into something greater that it's going to be. And so our hope is ultimately placed in God and through his son, Christ, uh, in the redemption of the cosmos that he has promised to bring to us. So Jesus' point is, don't let the joys of this world fool you into thinking that this world holds your ultimate greatest joys. Jesus says, die to this world. Die to it being your hope that you may attach your life to mine, and experience that glorious, eternal life to come. I like what Bonhoeffer says. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Have you heard that call? Is that the call you've heard from Jesus, or perhaps some other call? The call that Jesus calls all of his followers is to come and die, deny oneself, and follow him. The problem with the disciples and often with us is that they were looking at Jesus as a means to their own end. We know this because a little bit later we see them fighting over who's going to be uh, seated at the right and the left of Jesus when he comes into this kingdom. The disciples of Jesus at that time looked at Jesus as as the goose that lays the golden egg. We're with him, and he, we want him to come with us to lay some eggs so that our lives we can be really nice and better and good. You know, the problem with many Christians, especially in the West, is that's how we look at Jesus. He's the goose that lays golden eggs for us. Follow me, Jesus. Follow after my life and the pursuits that I want to go after. Surely you're going to make me successful, right, Jesus? You're here for me after all. Follow me as I gain notoriety or succeed in this business or pursue this relationship. Come on, come on with me. Make it right, make it good. And when our lives don't turn out like we planned, we point our fingers at God and we say, 
I started this business. I thought it would succeed. Why haven't you helped me? Maybe it's because your business was really all about you. Maybe you really weren't following Jesus. You were asking him to come after you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that as being a follower of Christ doesn't mean we can't get married or or, uh, enjoy our, our work and our careers, to travel, things like that. But what Christ is calling us to do, though, is to first follow him and trust our lives to him. deny any claim upon a a happy, healthy, wealthy, peaceful existence in this life as it is here and now. Deny yourselves that. Follow him. And by doing that, God brings his grace and his peace into your life. So today we follow Christ. How do we do that? Well, we do it as his spirit dwells in us. We follow Christ when we hear his call upon us through the pages of Scripture. We hear Christ speak to us in times of prayer as we ask him for grace and wisdom and guidance. And um, We follow Christ when we allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so we deny ourselves and then we bathe every decision in prayer. When presented with multiple doors to walk through, we must ask, am I following Christ through this door? Or am I demanding that he follow me? Sometimes God gives us multiple doors. Sometimes God in his grace gives us multiple options. Each one is good. Uh, Each one he would bless if we were to, to open those doors and go through them. What do we do in those times? We pray for wisdom and grace to to make the best decision for us and then walk in that decision with confidence. If that door leads to singleness, then we walk in grace as we follow Christ. If that door leads to a relationship, then we walk through that door as we follow Christ. If that door leads to what seems like a dead-end job, we, we walk through that door and we follow Christ. That's what it means to deny oneself and take up his cross and follow Christ. It it means we deny any right to our own chosen path in life. That's hard, isn't it? It sounds like death. And you know what? The commentators say, let's not neglect the fact that Jesus is, in fact, calling some people to die as they follow him. That's the point. As I'm going to the cross to die, you must be willing to deny everything and, 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 and not so, hold so tightly to your own life that, that if it should happen to you, you would die for me. Consider the, the, the 21 Christians from Egypt that were in Libya and they were taken by ISIS down to the Mediterranean Sea and, and all of them were beheaded and the, the, the blood spilled into the sea and washed into the waves. They cried out simple words, Jesus, help me, help us. For some people, as they follow Christ, as they don't deny him, they could have gotten out of it. They could have said, I'm backing out. I, I renounce Jesus. No, for them, it really truly brought them to the point that to follow Christ really means to give one's life. As a church, we should be constantly praying for our brothers and sisters who are in difficult environments around the Middle East and around Africa, who are literally being slaughtered, crucified, um, thrown into graves while still breathing. We should count a great privilege to be a church that um, 
comes before the Lord and prays for them. Jesus says, to get him right, we, we've got to not just get his identity right, but we've got to follow him, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Well, we've discussed our vision and our mission of Grace Presbyterian Church. We might as well remind you of our motto. Everybody know our motto here at Grace Presbyterian Church? Alive in Christ. That's our motto, alive in Christ. New members are smiling because they're learning that this past few weeks. All right, so, uh, you know, it comes from, it, it could have been from the, the reading we had from Romans 6 earlier, but uh, it also comes from Galatians 2.20 where Paul wrote to the Galatian church. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, I followed Jesus to the cross. That sinful life that I had, all, the, all, all that it is, all the selfish stuff that I was living for, I laid that upon Christ. And my old self was crucified with him. And as he rose from the grave, I have risen with him to newness of life. And now that life is now lived for Christ in his kingdom and for his glory. Paul's life illustrates, I hope you see, what what Jesus is saying here, that to truly gain life, we must go with him, die with him. And now our third point, we must live with him. The first half of Jesus' statement in verse 35, it's a warning. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But I hope you rejoice in the second half of verse 35. It's a promise for you and me. But, but, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's We'll save it. Jesus invites you to lose your life in him. Lose your life in his life's work, in his vision, and in his mission. And in doing so, you will find that your life is saved. Now, I'm not saying this is some sort of work salvation. This isn't, you know, uh, go and take a vow of poverty or, or what have you, and then, then uh, deny yourself all kinds of earthly pleasures, and by doing that, you earn your way into heaven. No, but Jesus is saying that, 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 that people who really understand not just my identity, but what I've done on this earth and what I'm doing, um, they, they, they die to themselves and they come alive in me. They find their life in me. And in doing so, you're able to know who are my followers because they look like me. Uh, they've, they've gone where I'm gone, and they're going where I'm going. They're doing what I've done. Essentially, Jesus is saying, true followers get my identity right. Um, they follow after me. They live for me. See, we need to understand that Jesus' work on earth isn't done. He's risen from the grave, and yet his work continues to go on. You're familiar with the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus says, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. and uh, It's the smallest of seeds, but yet when it grows, it becomes one of the largest of the garden plants. And we're experiencing that, right? Uh, You know, 2,000 years ago, the mustard seed was planted in the church, and it spread all throughout the world. We're experiencing that. We're also called to be salt and light. Salt and light in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools. Um, we are to bring this light of the gospel to our neighbors. Because we love our neighbors like God loves our neighbors, we want to bring them the gospel, which really literally means the good news. And sometimes when we bring the good news, we have to bring tough questions like, have you ever thought about what it would 
profit a person, to gain the whole world, and yet lose their soul. It's a good conversation starter. Try that this week. All right. You know, Jesus knew that people would mock him in his words. He knew that people would reject his words. He knew that his uh, words would seem foolish. Maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're maybe kind of rolling your eyes on the inside. I don't see anybody rolling their eyes right now. But maybe on the inside, your eyes are rolling, right? You need to know this. Jesus didn't just, didn't just believe these words he said. He, he died for them. And so he warns you here. For whoever is ashamed, verse 38, of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is saying he's going to come back with his Father, the holy angels. It's going to be a glorious day. The world will be judged. And the new age will come. All that is broken and sorrowful will be gone and the children of God will rise to newness of life and dwell on this world in perfection for all eternity. Jesus is saying that he's going to return and he cautions, if you're ashamed of his words now, on that day he will be ashamed of you. So there's urgency here, right? It's not something to put off till next month or next week. There's an urgency. Jesus is saying, do not be offended by my words, but rather receive them. Come to me, die, follow after me, that you may have life. Now, after having given such a hard challenge, Jesus speaks words that are meant to encourage and strengthen his followers. Denying oneself taking up a cross, and following after Jesus, if we really come to understand what he's calling us to do. This is scary, hard, challenging work, right? We kind of want to take, uh, take the blue pill in the Matrix. Remember the Matrix movie? It was kind of like, you know, Neo was awakened, and he's like being, he's given this vision of the, of the Matrix, and, and how, uh, you know, all right, uh, Morpheus is like, Life really isn't like you think it is. Uh, you're actually plugged in. They're using your body to energize this matrix. But you know this now. But I'll give you this blue pill. And you can just go back to that existence. Eat that steak. Enjoy yourself, right? And you won't even know this ever happened. But then there's the red pill. If you take this red pill, you'll be awakened and you'll see just how far down the rabbit hole this all goes, Right? Jesus' call here is a call to trusted him with some very scary things. Dying to the earthly treasures and gains of this world, which, trust me, there's, there's some wonderful things that perhaps God would call you to, to die to so that the glory of Jesus can be seen by your neighbors and in this world. It, that's hard and scary reality to do. And so what Jesus does, though, he, he gives a few of the disciples, a picture of that. Um, chapter 9, verse 1. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What is he getting at? 
commentators argue all over this. Here's what I think it is. If you have your Bibles open, it's right there in front of you. What is the very next story that Mark presents us in the gospel? The transfiguration of Jesus Christ. It says six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and John. He took them high up on a mountain. And out of nowhere shows up Moses and Elijah. And God speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And what they see in Jesus is not the normal Jesus. They see this transfigured, glorious Christ, a a picture of the Christ who is to return, whose clothes are so white, they seem as if they've been totally bleached white. A glorious picture of Jesus. But as soon as it's there, it's gone. And it's just Jesus and his three disciples scratching their heads. They wanted to make tents and hang out there for a while. But Jesus says, no, we're coming down off of the mountain. Why would Jesus do this? To encourage them and encourage us. He wanted them to see those six words. And after three days, rise again. I want you to see it, what it looks like. Because if you follow me, you don't just get me, you get what I've died and resurrected for, which is a new life, a new spiritual body resurrected from the dead. I want you to see that. Because denying oneself and carrying one's cross and following me seems like death. And by the way, Peter, in your case, it will be death. That is The same Peter who rebuked Jesus and said, no way, I'm not going there. After the empty tomb, what do we know about him? Transformed. New life in Christ. Full of the Spirit. And we don't see it in Scripture, but church history and tradition teaches us that Peter died where? In Rome. How did he die? He was crucified. But the tradition tells us that He didn't want to die in the same way in which his Savior was died. He didn't consider himself worthy enough. So he has to be crucified upside down. My friends, I don't think Jesus is calling us to that. But what he's calling us to is something that looks like that in your own life. Think about it. What in your own life are you saying, Jesus, come follow me. I'm doing this cool thing. He's saying, you gotta, he's saying if, if you really are to follow me, you've got to have the same vision I have. That stuff isn't going to do it. All of the earthly things that we do, as good as they are, they are just a simple melody on a child's little Fisher-Price uh, xylophone. The sound might be beautiful, but it, it really points us. It's a shadow of the symphony that is to come. I think as followers of Christ, what Christ is calling us to do is, is to give up, not give up any hope in this earthly reality, not because it's bad, but because he's got something far greater for us. And that's hard to do. As we approach the Lord's table this morning, let us be reminded of, of who Jesus is. He is God's anointed. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And may you hear, either for the first time or, or anew, 
his call to come and follow him. And may we truly see it as a call to, to, to deny ourselves, to, to literally die, that we might live through him. Let us go with him. Let us die with him. Let us live with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us this life in Christ. We thank you that your vision for this world and for its healing and for its redemption, it's oh so far greater than anything we really can comprehend. And so we lose sight of this. Thank you that you're gracious and patient with your children, that you continue to remind us of the hope to come. May we be a church that daily dies to self and comes alive in Christ. And may this not be for our own glory, but may it be for your glory, Jesus, and as a testimony of what you are doing here and now, as well as in the age to come. Amen.